Hey, this is Pat with Red Sun Rising. You're listening to The Drum Shuffle with Jamie Eads. Welcome to The Drum Shuffle, a podcast offering insights, perspectives, and conversations for drummers. I'm your host, Jamie Eads. Hey, how's it going out there, everybody? Welcome to the Drum Shuffle. Jamie Eads joining you as always. This is episode 54. I'm really excited to be uh, bringing you an interview today with one of the fantastic up-and-coming drummers out there today. Uh, Pat Gerasia is the drummer of Red Sun Rising, and we're going to be joined by him in just a moment Really excited to have him on the show today. So stay tuned after this message from our sponsor, Los Cabos Drumsticks. The best kept secret for drummers is finally out. Los Cabos Drumsticks may look like the sticks you grew up with, but these are not your father's drumsticks. Los Cabos Drumsticks is Canada's number one drumstick brand, and they are coming to a retailer near you. With operations in over 28 countries worldwide, thousands of drummers have already discovered the Los Cabos difference. Using FSC certified wood from Canada and the US, Los Cabos make the finest quality drumsticks, percussion tools, and accessories on the market. The best news, Los Cabos Drumsticks offers you a ton of choice. They have 22 individual drumstick models and 14 percussion tools, many of which are available in three different wood types, maple, white hickory, and red hickory. Red hickory comes from the center or heart of the hickory tree and has been independently proven to be both stronger and more elastic than white hickory without adding a lot of weight. While most drumstick manufacturers have shunned red hickory, Los Cabos Drumsticks has embraced it, becoming the only established stick brand in the world to offer a full line of red hickory drumsticks. To learn more about Los Cabos Drumsticks, visit them online at loscabosdrumsticks.com Follow them on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, and don't forget to ask for Lost Cabos Drumsticks at your favorite retailer. Dare to be different. Join the Red Hickory Revolution with Lost Cabos Drumsticks. All right, everybody. Um, Just a quick story. Back in November, uh, I was perusing the internet and came across an article in uh, Loudwire magazine uh, on their website talking about the hottest bands of 2018 uh, albums, you know, modern rock albums that everybody should own and know about. And one of the bands that they featured was Red Sun Rising. And I'll be perfectly honest, they had not crossed my radar. Uh, And there were some links to some videos and I checked them out and was just completely blown away. I thought, wow, these guys are really, really good. And it wasn't cookie cutter rock and roll music. Um, so I immediately uh, searched out uh, who, who's playing drums in this band 
and sent an email to Pat and said, hey, man, I would love to feature you on the show. And we did this interview uh, back right before Christmas in a break from his busy touring schedule. Uh, it, this is a drummer that everybody should know about. So if you're not familiar with Pat's drumming, go check out Red Sun Rising. Great band, great drumming. So please help me welcome to the drum shuffle, Pat Gerasia. Pat, welcome to the drum shuffle, brother. How you doing? I'm great, man. How are you? I am doing fantastic. Thanks for asking. Hey, man, thanks for taking some time to come on the show. We appreciate it. Happy to be here, brother. Yeah, man. So sure. uh, I know you guys just recently wrapped up a monster year of touring and releasing a, a new record and all that good stuff. Uh, how many hours a day are you sleeping right now? Uh, probably about 12 to 13 before the midday nap. So, you know, I'm, I'm <laughs> gradually waking up a little bit earlier though. You know, the first week off the road, <clears throat> I was still on my crazy tour sleep schedule. So I was sleeping until one o'clock or so. And today I got up at 1030. So it's like in half hour increments, I'm, I'm gradually coming back to society at a reasonable hour. Yeah. Before you know it, man, you'll be back on like, uh, you know, day job hours. I don't know about that. One. <laughs> Probably not going to. Pretty doubtful. Yeah, well, yeah, touche. Uh, you know, it, <laughs> we can all hope, right? Yeah. Uh, well, cool, man. Well, again, you know, thanks for taking the time. Um, you know, I know you're familiar with the show. We're, we're going to start back, you know, kind of at the beginning here. Um, you're a young cat. Tell us how you know, growing up, how did you get into drumming? Was it, was it your first instrument? You know, tell us where you grew up, all that good stuff. Uh, I grew up in upstate New York, up in Albany. Um, drums has been basically my first and only instrument. Um, my, my father was a drummer, so there's photos of me before I could walk, you know, sitting on his lap with sticks in my hand. So, you know, I was kind of born into that and born into music in that way. And I just, I've kind of stuck it out, man. You know, I, I haven't lost interest in it and I've dabbled in guitar. I took, you know, I studied music in college, so I had to take piano lessons and all that stuff. But for the most part, I'm just one of those drummers that only obsesses about drummers. And I have to, in some ways, force myself to listen to other instruments. because I, I just gravitate, my ear gravitates towards drums at all times. Whenever I listen to music or, you know, watch movies, any of that stuff. Yeah. I grew up in Albany and, uh, here I am now. Yeah, for yeah. sure. I mean, I mean, I think that's interesting. You know, it, it, there are guys that say, you know, I started on drums and then I switched to guitar and then, you know, I, I started singing. And it, But I think those of us that are just born to play drums, it's like you can't you have to force yourself to hear those other instruments. You kind of said the exactly. key phrase in there, you know, um, I hanging out with other drummers is just such a, a, a cool thing because we just dork out on it. You know, I mean, it's, and it's all we talk about. Exactly. And I don't think there's a lot of instruments where you can really, really relate to that either. I mean, we're kind of in a league of our own here, which is, which is fun. It's, a, it's an easy way to bond. Yeah, for drummers. sure. It's automatic. Yeah, for sure. So growing up in Albany, you know, something that that I have learned, you know, I, I grew up in the South. So, you know, most drummers kind of have a background of, you know, being in the marching band in high school and, you know, doing football games and all that stuff. But something that I've learned since starting this show 
is that where you grow up geographically kind of controls whether or not your football team even has a marching band. So, <laughs> you know, it was, sure. it was the hardest thing for me to figure out that guys up north, you know, that's not really a thing. So talk to me about your early days of drumming. Did you do drum line, things like that? Or was it more of a, hey, I've got a drum set, I'm taking lessons and, and I'm going to learn the instrument? Well, it kind of started with, you know, I got my own drum set in like fifth grade and I, I was allowed to go to the to my middle school early and play the drum kit from like 7 to 8 a.m. The music teacher would just let me jam the kit. And uh, eventually I, I ended up joining, you know, the school band, the orchestra, the jazz ensemble, all that stuff. But uh, ironically, I moved to South Carolina when I was 15 years old. So I was in 10th grade. So I went from a, sc- a school program that was dominated by the jazz band and the orchestra to a program that was dominated by the marching band. I just, I, I wasn't a marching drummer. I'd never even picked up those, uh, the heavy marching sticks until I moved to Carolina. So I kind of stayed away from that. I was just kind of too far gone in the traditional percussion stuff, but all my friends and all my, all my buddies in high school were, were all in a marching band and they could absolutely smoke me on a drum pad, but they just, none of my friends at the time were really that great at drum set. So they had such a technical background that, you know, at least in, in my experience, it, uh, kind of stifled their creativity behind a drum kit, but I kind of got the best of both worlds in that, in that way. I got a little bit of a taste of, of both avenues. Yeah, sure, man. Well, and you know, I think it's, it, it, that's interesting. And it's something that I never knew, you know, but I was talking to a couple of my Canadian brethren and I was like, well, you know, were you in marching band? And they were like, man, we, there's like two marching bands in Canada or something ridiculous <laughs> like that. And I didn't even know, you know, I mean, I, I just, it didn't even dawn on me that like football isn't a thing in Canada, yeah. you know, it's all hockey. So it was oh, yeah. all jazz band and stuff, you know? Um, For sure. So your first drum set in fifth grade. So you started very young. Um, who were some of the early influences for you? Well, obviously my dad was my main influence and I, I had uh, the band director for the, you know, for the concert band, which had easily a hundred kids in it. He was a percussionist. Like that was his main instrument in college. So I actually really looked up to him as a drummer, but you know, obviously the, the big classic rock drummers early on, John Bonham, all that stuff. And, uh, eventually, you know, in my more adolescent years, I really latched on to bands like tool and Allison chains and, you know, the whole grunge movement, Soundgarden, um, rage against the machine. Yeah. I would say, you know, my, 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 early roots came out of classic rock because of my dad and he kind of started to discover newer stuff as it came in, you know, as the grunge movement came together and as some of these crazy other bands like, like rage and tool came out, he, he was always hip to those new, those new acts. And I would kind of get turned on to them as a result. Yeah. Well, it sounds like your dad was a lot cooler than mine. <laughs> <laughs> so that's pretty awesome. Um, how old were you when you first started, you know, forming your, your first, you know, garage bands or basement bands? Did you start doing that, you know, right away? Pretty much right away. Cause you know, I had all my best friends happened to play instruments back then. And, uh, I started a band in sixth grade called phase F A Z E. Nice. And we, yeah. We were the best band ever, man. Of course. <laughs> Yeah, those were some fun days. We, you know, our first show was at a at a YMCA. 
on uh, they had this track above the the gym, you know, above the basketball court. So we invited all our friends. We played on the track. It probably sounded terrible because they were like literally ten feet below us. <laughs> and my buddy Luke, I'll never forget this. I got a quick story for you. Now that we're talking about this. I can't I can't let this go. Um, my my buddy Luke thought it would be funny to throw a basketball up at us while we were playing. It knocked over my snare drum and broke my bottom head. Like during the during the show, I started to cry because I thought I thought the drum was actually broken. I guess I didn't realize you could change the heads yet. So I thought I thought he broke my drum kit. I was like devastated by this, but otherwise it was a great gig. Yeah. Tons of girls there too. That's fantastic. <laughs> like you, you started on the Spinal Tap uh, career path yeah. at the very first gig. That's fantastic. It's a bad omen. <laughs> yeah. No doubt. Well, you know, I, I remember the first time I broke a drum head, I was like, oh, God, you know, it was like yeah, the end true. of the world. You know, my my snare drum will never sound that good ever again. You know, <laughs> so, I mean, that's just what we all go through as kids when we're starting out. Now, oh, yeah. you, you mentioned that you moved, um, you know, when you were a high school age guy. Did you move around a lot or was that just kind of one of those? one-off things because the reason I ask I find that that kids that move around they tend to use music as you know their social in in you're nailing it yes in a a new town right I mean it's it's like music is the universal language and you know you move to a new town and you say hey I'm a drummer and all of a sudden you have this whole new world that opens up. Yep. So I was only really uprooted once, you know, when I was 16, my mom got a really good job offer and uh, we moved from Albany, New York to uh, Clover, South Carolina, which is a super small town outside of Charlotte, North Carolina. And uh, I did not want to go. I thought my band was going somewhere. It was my best buddies and I and our, you know, but by then we had a second band um, called Lost Eggs. It was most of the same guys, but, didn't want to leave at all, especially to go down south. But uh, seeing as I moved to a small town, literally like the first or maybe the first day I was down there, I made a few friends. And um, one of them was the high school principal's son, who had the most popular band in high school, you know, at that school at the time. Um, so as soon as he heard that a, a new drummer was coming to town, he literally invited himself over to my house. I had like, I had two bass drums. Ken Symbols had this massive drum kit in the upstairs room. And uh, he came over and just asked me to play. And I just, just jammed for him. And he was the drummer, you know, in the most popular band in high school. And he literally was like, all right, you're going to play drums in my band. I'm switching the guitar. So I immediately joined one of the more popular bands in school and made all my friends from that. Yeah, I, it's such a similar story. I mean, a lot of people have that same kind of common thread that, you know, music is your social outlet. Yep, exactly. Well, that's fantastic. Yeah. Well, so did you finish your, your high school days in the South, in, in the Charlotte, you know, the greater Charlotte area? I did, so finished that high school there and ended up getting a music scholarship for a small school called Winthrop University. They had like a probably 60 or 70 kids in the music department, um, probably 15 of which were percussionists. Um, but yeah, I, I kind of stuck it out in the Carolinas for about 10 years. So 16 years in New York, 10 years in South Carolina. And then I uh, 
moved to LA in 2012, I want to say 2013. Okay. All right. So tell me where red sun rising kind of happened for you. Um, because you know, and I want to talk about the new record that, that you guys put out in, in 2018 because it's fantastic. You know, it really is. Um, Thank you. I, I mean that sincerely. It, it is. You guys have something going on that that is special, in my opinion. I don't know what that counts for, but tell me how those guys got on your radar and how you ended up in that band. Sure. It's uh, kind of a long story. So um, my band broke up in Charlotte. So I was like, you know what, I'm going to go pursue a freelance career. Um, so I moved to LA. Actually, before I even get into this, the band that I used to tour with, um, we used to do show swaps with Red Sun Rising because that, those guys have been playing since like 2010. They've been, they've been a band with different members, you know, for, for a long time now. And uh, so we, my band was coming through Ohio. We stopped at a guitar center where Mike and Ryan were working. Uh, that's my guitar player and my vocalist. And we, we kind of hit it off and talked about doing some show swaps. And we ended up doing some independent touring together. And, uh, you know, my band broke up, moved to L.A. We kind of lost touch a little bit. Next thing you know, Red Sun Rising signs a record deal. And right, right around the time that I was getting settled in L.A., they had just arrived to, to start recording their record. They, they had like three months in town to start demoing and recording. And we started hanging out and eating tacos and grabbing beers. And, you know, I never really saw it as an opportunity to join the band because I, I was really focused on being freelance and, after putting my all into a project, I just wanted to be a, a drum whore per se. I, you know, I didn't want to commit to just one project. I, I really wanted to just work the LA scene and bounce around and do that kind of thing. But, um, started jamming with them in the studio and, and just, just talking it over. And next thing you know, I decided to join the band and, and here I am now. Yeah, for sure. Kind of a happy accident. I mean, I literally met those guys, in a five minute span, just walking in the guitar center out of all the guitar centers that I've been to in my independent touring days, for some reason, I hit it off with those guys. Yeah, a little, little bit of serendipity cool. there, maybe. Yeah, I, I really, I really do believe in that. So for sure. Well, that's cool. Now, you know, I, so you recorded, um, a, a record with those guys. Um, and I'm going to, I, Again, I'm going to guess here that was probably the record b- before the, the the new one that just came out in in 2018, uh, which is called Thread. I, I'm assuming it was yep. the record before that, right? Well, Polyester Zeal. So the, the first record that I actually recorded on was Thread. So I did the producer's son, um, Chris Marlett, played drums on Polyester Zeal. Okay, so I was in and out of the studio. You know that that was already set in stone before um, I started coming up to the studio, but I was still there. We we, we jammed out. I got to play on some stuff, but ultimately the first record that I got to record at Reds and Rising was, was Thread last year. Okay. And that, that record came out in March, right? Yep. Okay. So Correct. talk to me a little bit about, um, you know, and I know that everybody has great expectations when they release a record, right? I mean, everybody mm-hmm. thinks this is really going to do something and, you know, 99% of the time, it doesn't. I mean, let's just face it. It's the music business, right? Sure. Uh, but you guys just kind of exploded uh, in 18. Talk to me a little bit about, you know, the, the process of, 
of doing the record, the record coming out, and then how busy you guys were for the rest of 18? I think coming into recording thread, you know, the band's first record was commercially very successful. We had two number one active rock radio hits and, you know, that sound really took off for us. And most people kind of wanted to hear the, the same thing, it seems like. And, um, you know, I consider our band to be just an ever evolving band. Like we're, we're not going to make the same record twice and, and we're not even really aiming to please somebody in particular. We're just, we're just writing music that is true to us and, and feels good to us. And uh thread, you know, in a lot of ways it, it opened up a lot of doors and in some ways it closed other doors because it's not as mainstream. It's, you know, it's a little riskier, it's a little vibier and it's a little bit more new, unique, but I think our goal is to continue to find our own sound and it's not always going to be comparable to other acts, but um, we're trying to carve out our own thing. I, you know, I was actually talking to my, my singer today. We were texting about the band 311 and there's just like, there's nothing that sounds like that. And you go from their earlier records to their newer stuff or, you know, Incubus would be another example. It changes so much from record to record and, and they have such a unique sound that they, you know, they're kind of in their own lane. So we're kind of trying to carve out our own lane and our own sound. And I think Thread was the first step towards doing that because the first record was a little bit easier to understand. A little, you know, I don't want to say it was simpler. It was just a little bit um, less risky, I guess you could say. Yeah, I think but, I think uh, that's fair. And and you know, I, yeah. I, I said to you before we you know uh, did the interview here, you know that a lot of the modern rock stuff, honestly, you can't tell the bands apart. I sure. don't, I don't have that problem with red sun rising. Okay. Um, you know, and I'm one of those guys that, um, how do I say this? I'm very opinionated, right? I mean, yeah. I, I will readily admit that. Um, and when, when you guys crossed my radar, I was like, there's hope yet for, <laughs> you know, for, for new rock music because it doesn't sound like everybody else. So I think that's a testament to, to what you guys are going for. Right. And I mean, we could very easily write a record that sounds exactly how it's supposed to sound in terms of what the, the modern rock formula is. And even polyester zeal, that, that was, it still sounded way different than, you know, the typical rock formula. But I just think we took it that we took that even farther with thread and just took even more risks. And, you know, we're just trying to, trying to be a band that, that only sounds like us. Like the second you, you hear a Red Sun Rising song, we, we want people to know that it's us. Well, mission accomplished, um, you know, because Appreciate it, it. Yeah, yeah, for sure, man. Um, you're, you're welcome. And, you know, I, I'm really rooting for you guys, um, but because it is different. And I know that you, you know, this record has gotten tons of, um, you know, kudos in the press. I know, you know, Loudwire, I, I think it was listed it as one of the, you know, 20 best new albums of the year. I mean, there's been all sorts of praise coming in. So, you know, how does that feel? It feels great, but it's also been kind of slow because, I, I, you know, that stuff's kind of happening recently. I think when people first heard the record, they, they've kind of had to sit with it and digest it, which... I think it's cool because some of my all-time favorite records, you know, the first time I listened to them, I was like, what is this? What's going on? And then by the time it grows on you, it's something new and fresh. But 
yeah, it's it's great to be acknowledged for that and, and to see, you know, some of our risks pay off. Yeah, it feels great, man. You know, we're already itching to, to get started on the next one, and we're going to start writing in January. But, uh, you know, this record has a, a, plenty of life left, but we're creative dudes. I can't wait to, to make the next one. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and, and just to follow up on that, you know, um, when Led Zeppelin one came out, Rolling Stone absolutely bashed it and said, this is the, yep. the most awful thing we've ever heard, basically, you know, and, and we, we know how that turned out, right? <laughs> we sure do. Yeah. So I do. <laughs> we're, we're still, you know, we're still talking about Zeppelin, you know, so, I know. Uh, so, I mean, I think, you know, you can take the critics or, or leave the critics, you know, but I think it's great that you guys are getting some of that attention and the best records of all time, I think are records that you have to sit down and listen to. And, you know, as you said, digest them, you know, and and they grow on you for sure. Um, So talk to me a little bit about, you know, the, the crazy touring that you guys did in 18, because I know you guys really hit it hard. Yeah. I mean, we've kind of been hitting it hard for the last three and a half years since I joined the band um, with Polyos for Zeal because of the radio success we, we got so many tour offers and as a new band we just took them all we had we had some tours that were no brainers and some tours that like we did a tour with some metal bands you know we, we did everything and uh, that was you know at one point we did like 17 weeks in a row we did a Three Doors Down tour followed by a Seven Dust tour followed by a um six week tour of Europe and Russia with the band skillet. And those are all without a break. Um, the main difference between men and now in 2018 is, uh, we're really starting to establish ourselves as a headlining act. We've done so many opening slots and, and played for these massive crowds. And, and now we've, uh, you know, past six months, especially have been focused on us packing out small clubs, selling out clubs, nice rowdy rock shows and, playing an hour and a half long set to our fans as opposed to playing 30 minutes to 20,000 people that are kind of listening. And that's been, <laughs> really, it's been really exciting for us. Yeah. Ki- kind of listening. What just happened. Well, I mean, we just did a, our, our first amphitheater tour with uh shine down and, and uh, Godsmack. And it was, it was incredible. I mean, it was still one of my, my favorite tours, but we went from that tour, which was, you know, 10 to 20,000 people a night this previous tour that we just wrapped up, you know, playing for 500 kids a night. It's, I think I, I, I enjoyed the, the tiny clubs more. There was so much more energy that you could feel as opposed to a huge amphitheater. Yeah. Everybody's so spread out. Yeah. And, and, you know, I mean, I get that. And, and two, you know, when you're kind of on one of those package tours and, and correct me right. if I'm wrong, but when you're on one of those package tours and, and you're in the, the opening slot, um, you know, the, it's a what I call a divided crowd. You know, if you've got, you know, four bands on the bill, three bands on the bill, you know, there's, a, a, you know, a division, you know, I'm going to see band A. Well, I'm going to see band B. You, you know correct. what I mean? So. When, when yeah. you're when you're doing your own thing, everybody's there to see you, right? Exactly. It's a good feeling. Yeah, for sure. Well, it, you know, I know you guys did just you've done a ton of dates over the last, you know, as you said, two and a half years, three years, something like that. Um, 
playing that much, I, how much have you felt the the chemistry of the band gel? Uh, you know, I mean, this is kind of one of those time tested. Everybody says, you know, you guys are are probably probably playing better than you ever have just simply because you're doing it so often. But have you noticed a change within your own band after all the dates? Totally. Um, especially with the songwriting and stuff, but there's kind of a, a funny thing that happened at, that happens at sound check every day between um, my bassist and I We usually line check the drum kit and then we'll line check the bass. And then my sound guy will say, all right, you guys play together and it's never planned. And I just will literally just start playing a groove and he'll immediately latch onto it. He doesn't even wait for it. He just like, we can just jump into something. There's no count off. I just start playing. He, he, he lays it down and I'll stop in a weird spot. And he's, he stops right there too. Like, it's just like, and that goes for the, for everybody in the band where you can just kind of read each other's minds. And, you know, when you're with somebody on a personal level too, like that impacts how you feel with them in a musical setting. Yeah. Well, and everything's it, resonating. Yeah. It's just a, a telepathy thing that you develop over, over time, you know, and, and, and uh, sometimes chemistry is instant, you know, but then again, you can refine it and develop it even more as you're doing it for sure. Yep. It's been fun. Yeah. Well, you know, you guys are just doing a ton of, uh, of great work and, um, you know, you mentioned that you guys are going to start writing in January. Do you have a specific uh, timetable that you're looking at going back in to do the follow up to thread? Or is it, hey, we're just going to get together and do some writing and pre-production and let the chips fall where they may? Uh, yeah, we're just kind of exploring some stuff. And, and you know, it's good to have a, a, a nice catalog of demos. And I feel like everybody gets pretty antsy when we have too much time off. You know, we're so used to being busy constantly that take a look at January. We only have one show on the books. It's like, let's take advantage of this time off to get together for a week or a week and a half and, and just create some music together just to keep, keep the ball rolling, especially, you know, everybody in the band lives in a different city. We're all spread out between New York, Chicago, Ohio, Florida, Pennsylvania. So we kind of have to take advantage of getting together when we can. So we have one show in Columbus, Ohio on the 19th. And since we're already going to be together, we're all flying in for that. Let's let's stick it out and, and stay a week together and, and write some jams. That's cool. That's I mean, I think that's a great approach. Now, you, you mentioned that you guys are kind of spread out a little bit and, and you talk about getting antsy with time off. What is your time off like? I mean, are you giving lessons? Are you doing tracks for folks? I mean, how, how do you fill your downtime? Um, I'm mostly giving lessons, you know. And again, because, because the touring is changing for us with us headlining, we're starting to have a little more control of our schedule. So, um, you know, I'm really starting to look out for some other opportunities to, to do some recording and, and that kind of thing. You know, over the past couple of years, anytime we had a month or two off, it used to put the word out, Hey, I'm looking for, looking for a tour. Hey, you know, I'm looking to, to do some tracks. And every time I'd get a bite and I'd be talking to somebody, talking to the managers, and then we'd get a festival offer and, the whole thing would fall through. So <laughs> yeah. I kind of stopped doing that, you know, and as a, as a freelance guy, you know, I was independent for years and I was doing my own thing. I, I kind of crave that exciting phone call. Hey, can you learn these 15 songs and come play with us next week? You know, playing in the same band and being committed to the band. 
um, you, you, you don't always get that same rush, but, uh, so I haven't really been able to pursue that. I haven't had an opportunity to really, you know, look for other work and that kind of thing, which I think is a good problem to have. But, uh, you know, if anything ever comes up, if we were to ever take three, four months off, which I, I don't see that really happening, I would be a little more aggressive in finding other opportunities. But for now, I just, I relax. I, I just kind of get back to a healthy place with, with eating and exercising and, and sleeping and, and taking care of myself and truly trying to recover from, you know, the strenuous touring does, does take some time. So I relax, man. I take advantage of the time off when I can and got a bunch of students. I, I teach Skype students and, um, yeah, that's about it, man. Nothing too exciting. Well, and I think you might be um, a, a good guy to ask about this. So if you don't care, I'm going to go down a rabbit hole. Okay. Um, Let's go. Uh, okay. So, you know, I, you know who some of the guests have been on this show and, and, and I don't really delve into the, you know, but you, you brought it up. So I, I'm going to, I'm going to go here. So you said, you know, <laughs> I eat good food. I get back into an exercise routine. Let's, let's talk a little bit about that. You know, when, when, um, when you're out there on the road, uh, explain to folks, you know, I think people that haven't done it right don't really understand what you're saying. They're like, well, how hard can it be? You know, you, you sleep on a bus or, or a hotel room or whatever. Your food is all prepared for you. You know, how, how hard could it possibly be to tell us about a typical day in your life when you're on the road and, and that yummy catering food that you get? <laughs> well, the catering depends on the tour, of course, but uh, usually, you know, for our band, we'll park the bus at a Planet Fitness. Um, you know, it's like a, it's a national gym. It's like 20 bucks a month. There's like 2,000 locations. So nine times out of 10, we wake up at a Planet Fitness. Everybody can go get a workout in before um, before we load in and sound check and all that. That's the shower, most, et that is the most rock and roll thing anybody has ever said on the drum <laughs> shuffle. We park our bus at Planet Fitness so we can go work out. So, okay, continue. I'm sorry to interrupt, but I just had to point this out. You know, everybody thinks no, no, sex, drugs, and rock and roll, but it's not like that anymore. Not during the day, at least. <laughs> that comes at nighttime. During the day, we got to work out. Sweat out all the sin in the previous night. That's fantastic, Pat. That's so <laughs> awesome. All right. So so you're at Planet Fitness when you wake up, you go in and, and get your workout in. Continue, please. Yep. All right. Then we'll head to the venue, line check, sound check, et cetera. Um, on this past tour, we had some VIP meet and greets to do. You know, a lot of times we'll have radio interviews um, either during the afternoon or sometimes before, you know, sometimes like nine or 10 in the morning, we'll, we'll go on and do a radio interview and start our day there or do a radio performance. And also, you know, the exhausting part just comes from being around, you know, even within my own band and crew, there's 10 dudes around you 24 seven. And by the time you uh, hang out with the fans and, and do all that stuff, you're, you're constantly in a social setting and then you, you really can't completely shut down at, at any point. I think that's where the, uh, the end of tour fatigue comes from because you're finally in a quiet place. You know, it feels so so crazy for me to, to come home and shut the door and, and not hear anything, and not be around somebody. <laughs> yeah. And that's why my, the guys in my band and I, we always end up like after a week of, after a week apart, we end up calling each other every day. 
because we're bored and just like, yo, what are you doing? <laughs> just get so used to that stimulation and that social setting that it's like, man, this is, this is crazy to go to such a, you know, different extreme. Yeah. I, I heard somebody describe it once as like going to your office Christmas party and not leaving for eight months. <laughs> I don't know if it's that bad, <laughs> <laughs> but I heard somebody say that and I thought, you know, that's, that's pretty good. Yeah. That's, that's a pretty accurate description. Um, you know, and, and the reason that I asked, you know, you, you were talking about it, but you know, a lot of these guys that, uh, you know, you included probably, you said, you know, catering depends on the tour, but a lot of times you're just kind of getting the, the rubber chicken and the, and the pasta and the fruit tray. And, you know, it's, it's, yeah. it, it wears on you. It really does. You're, you're like, okay, it's Monday. That, that means it's, you know, hamburger night and Tuesday is, you know, spaghetti night or, or whatever the case may be. And, you know, a lot of bands, you know, request a, 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 you know, either a cash out or takeout menus at the end of the night. And it's just like, how many days in a row can I have, you know, Domino's pizza, right? I mean, it's, yeah, it, for sure. it's tough. It really is being away from home and relying on somebody else for your nourishment, you know, and I, I'm not yeah. trying to make this into the food episode with, with Pat, but it's hard. Yeah. Well, everybody in my band is kind of a foodie too. So we always, we always try to go out and explore some local spots, but you know, just in terms of being able to cook your own food and really control your diet, um, is nearly impossible. Although, uh, we just got done touring with one of our openers it was a band from Canada called Dubay, three brothers and their, and their dad was the tour manager and the driver and the front of house sound guy. But, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with a souve. It's, it's the, uh, it's like a, a way to cook meat, you slow cook meat in a vacuum sealed package in hot water over like four or five hours. It's this new thing that a lot of restaurants are doing and stuff, but these guys would souve meat in the dressing room. So it was slow cook all afternoon and then he would blow torch. Like he would take the steaks out and they're, they're already cooked all the way through, but he would blow torch to sear the steak and we would just eat meat. He was just, he would just walk around with this pan of delicious tender steak so he's kind of inspired us to start um, taking some initiatives with our diet stuff. And, you know, if you really put some work into it, you, you can still cook and have a little bit of control of your diet. That sounds fantastic. That's a new one on me. Great. So, yeah. Oh, I, dude, it was mind-blowingly delicious. Well, I'm making a note to myself. Suve. Okay. Uh, I, I'm going to. I don't know how to spell that, but uh, check it out. Yeah, yeah. Google is your friend here, folks. Uh, <laughs> exactly. So, Pat, tell me about your uh, your practice routine when you're on the road. I mean, obviously, you guys get a sound check so you can get out there behind the kit and, you know, kind of line check everything. But, you know, are you chopping away on a pad on the bus or, or how does that work for you? Yeah, I'm always on a drum pad. Um, for me, to warm up, I'm trying to just get as relaxed as possible. I used to try to uh, really beat the crap out of my drum pad and just really get moving that way. But now I'm just trying to get loose. And uh, I took a few lessons with Dave Elich out in LA. I'm not sure if you've heard his name around town, but he's oh, yeah. kind of the body, body mechanics guru. And he really changed my approach to uh, the instrument and and kind of the physicality behind playing drums. So that's really changed my practice routine. But uh, I recently bought a uh, 
you know, I got some Zildjian low volume symbols and a DW smart practice kit. So I have a fully functioning practice kit in the dressing room, dressing room every day, which has been killer for, uh, teaching lessons and, and actually being able to warm up and, and play along with some tracks and stuff like that. But yeah, I try not to, uh, try not to play too long because then I'll walk out on stage and already be shot. So I try to do like 30 minutes to an hour, um, just jamming out and, uh, staying relaxed. And, uh, Another Dave Elish trick is uh, jumping rope before the show. If you work up a little bit of a sweat, you can walk on stage, you know, having that feeling of being a few songs in right from the first song. It's, not, it's, it's more than just your hands that need to warm up. Your whole body, feet need to warm up. You're, you, you need to sweat a little bit. So jumping rope for 15 minutes beforehand has really been a cool little routine that I've, that I've developed. Yeah, it's the old the old boxing trick, you know. Don't don't yeah, go out sure. into the ring dry as a bone kind of thing. And yep, I, it doesn't surprise me that that comes from Dave because he he's just yeah. like he is the new like drum guru. I think everybody he takes is. lessons from Dave. Um, we had uh, Michael Miley from Rival Sons on, you know, uh, killer it, band. Yeah, fantastic band, and you know he was taking lessons from Dave and. He, he was like, man, I'm doing all this ridiculous CrossFit stuff now. Because <laughs> Dave is just like one of the healthiest dudes alive, I think. Yeah, he's like the Joe Rogan of drumming. Yeah, he really is. That's, that, <laughs> you know, I like that. That's that, that's, yeah. a, that's a good way of looking at it. Um, so I, what else is on the horizon uh, for you? I mean, I know Red Sun Rising, you guys are going to write. A, a new record probably at some point in 2019. I know you guys will be doing some touring, but in the big picture, you know, what is going to happen for Pat going forward? What's the 10 year plan? Do you have one? Uh, you know, I think the 10 year plan for me is just to continue to establish myself uh, as, as a drummer, not just a drummer for a band. You know what I mean? Like having a little bit of this time off coming up, I'm going to, you know, reopen my, my practice studio. I want to get back into recording and building my teaching practice. Again, I've been so dedicated to this project and so busy with it. I haven't been able to pursue anything else. So I'm really looking forward to having some time off so I can kind of stretch out and, and uh, get back into some refreshing playing opportunities on the side. And I've always enjoyed teaching and I really enjoy taking lessons too. It's something that, that I'm never going to stop doing. So, yeah, as a whole, for the 10-year plan, I would love to have my own studio, you know, be able to do drum tracks remotely and, and learn learn some recording technology and not just be a drummer. I've always just been so obsessed, pedal the metal, playing drums, playing drums, playing drums. And uh, so, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep looking out for stuff like that. And uh, I'm also trying to find a hobby. I, I was talking to, again, I was talking to my singer the other day, but dude, Music has always been my hobby. Like, I don't have any hobbies. I've just been so, you know, so obsessed with drumming. It's been my complete escape for everything. And now that it's a career, I need to find something so left field from that. Yeah. I'm trying to, you know, maybe explore that option. Maybe take up archery or something. Who knows? 
<laughs> archery. I like it. Of course, that could get dangerous, uh, you know, yeah. during the nighttime when it's sex, drugs, and rock and roll for Red Sun Rising. You know, if you, if the bow and arrow comes out after 10 o'clock, that's <laughs> no, nothing good can come of that, Pat. Um, nothing good at all. Yeah, th- that's exactly right. Well, you know, one of the things that, that I heard you say someplace was you never had a backup plan. Like plan A yeah. was always be a drummer. Yep. So, you know, and, and that was kind of always my plan A. And then, of course, you know, that's not a, at all what happened for me. You know, I mean, I've I've always had a day job, you know, a, a regular kind of nine to five thing, um, which is fine. But I still get to do, you know, music. I still get to play. I get to do sessions, things like that. Um, you know, but this podcast, for example, was a way for an old dude to kind of stay connected to the, to the drumming world, you know? Yeah. Uh, so, I love it. So this has kind of become my hobby, you know, outside cool. of, of the, the music thing. But, you know, you saying that it, it you know, another rabbit hole that I'm going to jump down, you know, most musicians don't have a hobby outside of music. Right. You know, I mean, not I, the only one for sure. Yeah. I mean, all of the folks that I talk to, uh, you know, on this show and, and other drummer friends that I have, other musician friends, their hobby is like, you know, as you said, you know, going out and doing a clinic or recording somebody else's band. But it seems to be that that we get into the music business or industry or something and there's nothing outside of that. And it makes me wonder, is that just kind of a philosophical thing amongst all of us? I, I don't know. It might be, but, you know, I'm starting to notice, you know, some guys that I look up to. I'll give an example. Jose Pasillas from Incubus. He always, he's like into mountain biking. So before shows, he'll, he'll like go bike 26 miles in the middle of Washington State or whatever, wherever he's at, you know. I'm just getting to the point now the touring has been so constant and uh, I feel like it, it would be a healthy balance to get my head out of music for a little bit so I don't get burnt out. And I think that's why a lot of guys, you know, in my position at, at a higher level end up finding these hobbies and, and finding an escape from, or, you know, starting up restaurants or, you know, opening up a starter business on the side. You have to kind of find that escape. Otherwise, you kind of lose that excitement. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Well, Pat, you know, I, again, I wish you guys nothing but the best and I can't wait to hear what you guys, you know, come up with on the next one. And I know the writing process is going to start here, you know, in earnest here pretty quick. You know, we're talking here the, the week before Christmas, um, you know, and, and thanks so much for coming on the show. I appreciate it. Now it's, it's time for our, you know, weekly tradition here on the drum shuffle. Um, give us a good piece of advice for other musicians, other drummers, or other people seeking new hobbies, <laughs> whatever you'd right. like it to be. Sure. I would say, uh, for anyone looking to make it in the music industry, uh, persistence is, is the most important thing. I've had plenty of incredibly talented friends coming up that I knew for sure like, these guys are going to make or this singer is going to be something big. This drummer is going to be in a huge band. And if you don't keep your pedal to the metal and if you can't um, withstand some tough times and some challenges, you're not going to get there, man. I mean, this business 
especially nowadays, is, is harder than ever. And, and uh, everything, in my experience, it, it's, it's taken 10 times the amount of work I would have ever thought it was going to. So if you keep pushing, you're going to get somewhere eventually, at least from my experience. Yeah, and, that's, uh, yeah, that's good advice. Um, you know, and, and we kind of jokingly said again, you know, uh, as we were trying to get you scheduled for this, it's a long, slow grind. Uh, it I, is. it's, it, it's tough, man. It's tough. It really is. But, um, wish you guys nothing but the best when you get the new record done. I want to have you back to talk about Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Tell us what's cool. going on in yeah in Red Sun Rising Land and uh, Pat, you're welcome here anytime, brother. Thanks so much for the time. Thanks for having me, my man. I, I will uh, continue to listen to further episodes, and I, I look forward to coming back around next time, man. Keep in touch with me. Absolutely, and uh, you know when you guys get close down here to Central Kentucky, I'm going to be there, brother. Uh, I'm, I got to come oh, out awesome. and check out a live show for sure, Pat. Absolutely. Have a great uh, Christmas, and we'll talk to you real soon, man. You too, Jamie. Thanks, man. All right. See ya. Bye. All right, everybody. That's going to do it for episode 54 of the Drum Shuffle. As always, thank you so much for tuning in. We cannot do this show without every single one of you doing so every week. Please hit the subscribe button on whatever platform you're using to listen in today. We have tons of great interviews coming up over the next few weeks that you're not going to want to miss. Next week, I'm going to be joined by the great Jay Took of the Steelwoods. They have a great new record out, and we're going to be talking to him all about that. Um, just a great cat and doing some great drumming out there. So you're not going to want to miss that interview. And in two weeks time, I'm going to be joined by Mike Johnston of Mike'sLessons.com. Um, if you're a drummer, you certainly know who Mike is. He is also the co-host of the Modern Drummer podcast, probably the largest drumming podcast in the world. So we're really excited to have those two guys on the show over the next couple of weeks. Uh, as always, we love hearing from you throughout the week. Our email address is the drum shuffle podcast at gmail.com. Our web address is the drum and you can find more information on me over at jamieeds.com. Again, thank you so much for tuning in. We really do appreciate it. So until next time, may your head stay strong and your sticks never break. Cheers. Cheers.